Well, hello, Hinsdale Covenant Church. Welcome to this version of Virtual Coffee Hour. Feel free to fill up your mugs with us. I'm here with Pastor Simon, Pastor Joy. This is Pastor Lars speaking. And we thought that we would take a little break in our day. It's a Thursday here uh, in our beautiful sanctuary. We thought we would take a little break uh, to have a cup of coffee together and discuss some of the things that we're talking about in our sermon series. If you've been around on Sunday mornings or joining us on the live stream, you'll know that we've been journeying through a sermon series called The Blazing Center on mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and, and that, that member of the Trinity and how we understand the Spirit's presence in our lives and what that means for our lives and our Christian faith and how important that is. We recognize that when we're only doing six weeks, there are many things that we leave out. I know that many of you are also joining us in a journey of reading through the book of Acts in 28 days Mm -hmm. and really focusing on the movement of the Spirit in the book of Acts. We're a little over a third of the way through that reading now, if you're up to date on that. And there have been some stories um, already in in those first 10 chapters or so that are kind of crazy. So we thought we would talk about those because uh, we conveniently avoided preaching on them. No, we didn't avoid preaching on them, but uh, they, they didn't make it into the, they didn't make it into the uh, sermon series. So we wanted to make sure we we're talking about that, but also wanted to talk about some of, uh, some of the aspects of, of the Holy Spirit that get talked about in theological circles and church circles that we're also not really addressing in this sermon series because we figured some of you have some questions likely um, likely on that. So I want to start with this one. Um, I want to start with one of the big ones, and that's speaking in tongues. Mm. Speaking in tongues. It's something that we see uh, some, some sort of speaking in tongues was happening at Pentecost, right? Where there was a common language that people, uh, that, that people were understanding in some spiritual way. We also read about this in Paul's epistles to the other churches, some mm-hmm. instructions on speaking in tongues. First of all, and, and just so everybody who's listening knows, this is not rehearsed for us. Uh, we kind of know some topics going in, but this is a free-form conversation. I have not vetted this out with Could my friends Could be a few here. bobbles and bumps, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, how do... How do you define speaking in tongues? Have you had any uh, history of that in church ministry, in your own personal life? How do, we, how do we understand this idea of speaking in tongues? Joy, you're first on the roster. Yeah, this. Go okay. Yeah. Um, I, I think sometimes when we say speaking in tongues, it's important to define what we mean because it can mean different things. What we see in the Acts 2 story of the the day of Pentecost is that the believers spoke in different languages as the Spirit enabled them so that the gospel could be proclaimed to those who were visiting from all around the world nearby. And people could hear the story of God. And so in that context, speaking in tongues meant the, the gift, the Spirit gifting you to speak in a language you'd never studied before. And so that's one way, speaking in tongues, as a, as a gift to communicate in a different language. Uh, another way, well, sometimes we might hear of speaking in tongues, has to do with what might be called an angelic language. And we would experience this in some Pentecostal and charismatic traditions. And uh, I have personal experience in these traditions because uh, when I was a young woman, my dad was a professor at uh, a Pentecostal Bible college, and I was a student there. And so part of the requirements for students was to go to chapel every day. And this was a Pentecostal worship service, and I would go. And almost every single uh, time of worship, 
someone would speak in tongues. And so we would gather, we would sing worship songs, uh, usually sort of a calm song first, and then a more boisterous song, and then uh, there would be a time sort of of silence, and people would pray aloud, and then there, it, it would kind of flow down, and then usually you'd hear one word, one person speaking in an angelic tongue, and then usually someone would translate it in accordance with Paul's teaching in uh, 1 Corinthians. And the translation was often something you would find in Scripture. God loves you. And often it was in first person in the voice of God. Hmm. I love you, my children. I care about you. Thank you for worshiping me. So that kind of message from God. And um, at that point in my life, I was uh, at a Bible college because I could go for free. And I was, I, I didn't believe or disbelieve in this expression of worship. I felt like I was sort of an outsider uh, looking in the window. Yeah. And um, so those are, those are two different expressions of what we mean in speaking in tongues. Yeah. yeah I'm glad you separate the two because in, in Acts 2 it does say um, that in verse uh, 4 they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so there's a distinction here in the wording of another tongue, as you said, like a language in which they were able to communicate the gospel to those who were around, which was a new ability. And I think that's one of the gifts of tongues is that God will give us the ability to communicate the gospel in, in new and relevant ways, which is what we hit on this last Sunday. Then, yeah, totally what Joy said, and then there's the prayer language mm-hmm. of maybe... Um, uh, uh, an angelic type language, if that's yeah, how it's referred to. And I do have some experience in that from mm-hmm. some churches that I've been a part of, uh, even in Texas, where probably just in the culture, there's a little more uh, Pentecostalism flavored in the, in the Bible Belt experience. It's a little different than being here in the North. Um, and so, yeah, it wasn't too uncommon in, in our church settings to have people that had experience with that or even had that gifting. Um, I remember it kind of surprised me the first couple of times it was used. Uh, one time I remember in particular in a council meeting uh, years and years back, we were at a pretty major decision point and we were really wrestling in prayer like our hands were out on this decision. Lord, tell us what we need to do. I think we had to make a pre- pretty pressing decision. And one of our council members broke out in, in a, a prayer language. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was sort of alarming in the moment because I hadn't, hadn't seen it used in this way. Um, and I think a couple others were surprised too. But then someone else came up and said, okay, what, I, what I'm hearing them saying is, and it wasn't like, here's the Lord telling you what to do with plan B. Mm-hmm. It was more like you said, instruction, trust, uh, care, uh, and purpose. But that did release us to be able to make a decision mm-hmm. collectively that, that I think was very helpful. Yeah. I think we can differentiate biblically between these because we see the, the tongues, different languages in Acts 2. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul writes, uh, For those who speak in a tongue do not speak to other people but to God, yeah. for nobody understands them since they are speaking mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, those who prophesy speak to other people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And so we see a difference. One is a prayer language to God um, that... And then one is a witnessing gospel opportunity. Yeah, and that would be my experience and distinction. I don't, I've never spoken in tongues 
that I know of. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, I've never had that ecstatic speech experience. I have had experiences where I've spoken something that feels like a very out-of-body experience where I go, wow, where did those words mm-hmm. come from? Yeah. That really felt like it was the Spirit's words coming out for this person. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that that's the same as speaking in tongues or we would call that a prophetic utterance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my experience has been more I've heard people speak in tongues before. Um, I also have a little bit of history with a tradition that really focuses on what you used as uh, angelic or prayer language, um, developing that even in your own sort of devotional life between you and God. So I think that the distinction between um, speaking in tongues in public and using it as a private devotional sort of Mm -hmm. prayer language is an important distinction. What we know scripturally is when it's when there's utterance in public, and that would include a meeting of you know half a dozen people or whatever, that's a public space. Someone else is listening to that. Yeah. That there needs to be interpretation. And both your examples are good examples of there was an interpretive. Um, somebody else was interpreting that. Mm-hmm. God, uh, the Spirit gave the ability to interpret that. Um, I I've seen public utterances that. Uh, we're not edifying to the body Mm. and we're manipulative. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think my tendency would be to people who are interested in that or, or would, would have a desire to speak in that. My encouragement is focus on your own devotional life. Mm -hmm. Ask the spirit for that gift. If the, if the spirit wants to give you that gift. Um, But boy, if you're going to speak in tongues, it better be edifying publicly. It better be Mm -hmm. edifying for the entire body. Mm -hmm. Well, Oh, uh, it answers a need. Um, that I find often in the body, which is uh, people who maybe don't feel comfortable in prayer, either devotionally or even in public or in, in worship uh, time, because they don't know what to say. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, what this gift of angelic the English prayer, language is failing. Yes. Like this, it's yes, like right? I, I meet so many people like I don't like to pray out loud because I don't know what to say. And I think the Spirit is giving you then uh, um, a non-language to speak, which should free you in a sense, to have a relationship with God in prayer. And it, it might echo the, the Spirit's groanings, like the Spirit's prayer in groans beyond words, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think the, if you're curious about this, really looking at 1 Corinthians uh, 14 is really instructive for how to use, how to utilize tongues. And some really mature Christians I know of or I know personally uh, will, will speak privately about how they do pray in tongues in their own devotional prayer life. And they'll um, also pray in English or whatever their yeah. native language is. Yeah. So speaking in tongues is listed as a spiritual gift. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've preached in the past. Uh, I'm, I know you all, you both have at different times. I have at least three or four times here in this church preached uh, some, somewhere along the line of spiritual gifts and talked about that. So for some people, this will be a kind of a retread, but... Uh, do you agree with me? Do you both agree with me that not everyone is given the gift? It, it's not a fair expectation just because you want to speak in tongues that you would be able to do that because the Spirit might not have gifted you with that. How do you, how do you respond to that? It's like one of those debates. I want to make sure I gave a clear answer, though, not right. just shift. No, I'm right. um, I would say— Answer, answer the question. Yes, yeah. I would say— no, it's not a gift that everyone might receive. However, I would say it is probably extended to more people in the church than actually choose to receive it. Yeah. Mm. I think it's more available to us than, than we experience, especially, again, if it's in a cultural setting where it's not welcomed or valued or even sometimes seems kind of yeah. scary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
my theology about the spiritual gifts is that God gives them to whom and where they are needed for the church. Yes. And, and so perhaps, especially for someone who might really think, I don't really know how to pray, or who might really struggle with prayer, you know, praying for the gift of tongues, especially for devotional activity, might be, might be useful. That, that might be a place where this, that gift is needed. Um, sometimes it is seen in, in some uh, traditions, not ours, as a, something that will be poured out to all believers, and it's expected to. And if you haven't been baptized in the Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues, that's usually the language, that, that you're not fully a Christian or sometimes you're not even fully saved. And I, that, I do not believe that is biblical. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, that can, there can be freedom to know that that isn't necessary, but, but the Spirit does gift some people in that way. If I can pull back a little bit just on spiritual gifts, apart from just tongues, but just in general, mm-hmm. um, we have four, three and a half or four different lists of spiritual gifts that happen in the epistles. I don't think those are a definitive list. I think there are spiritual gifts that aren't on those lists. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of them are meant to be definitive, but those are the ones that we know biblically, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I agree with you, Joy, that I think the Spirit gives us gifts for the edification of the church and the world and our neighbors um, when we need them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so part of my encouragement to folks who are interested in spiritual gifts or the idea that the Holy Spirit would give me a particular gift is to not put too much stock in those spiritual gift inventories. They can be helpful for you to know maybe how God has naturally sort of gifted you and how the Spirit's going to work through some of those natural giftings. But how much more exciting is it to wake up and go, Holy Spirit, I'm open and available to you. Would you give me a gift that I don't... I'm, I don't naturally have. And I've talked about that in terms of uh, um, there are certain gifts where I go, I I am not very good at this, but there are certain times in my life where I feel like the Spirit gave me that Mm -hmm. gift as a grace because the church needed it, because my neighbor needed it, because my family needed it, because I needed it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that that's a helpful way to to think about speaking in tongues or any of the other spiritual gifts is to go, if, if that's something you really desire, you open yourself up to the Spirit and say, Spirit, would you... Would you give me the grace of this at, at the time when I, yeah. When yeah. I need it? Not for yeah. me, right. but for somebody else. You, you remind me, too, of just the value of not ever feeling finished. Mm. Um, that, you know, maybe you've been uh, a person of faith your whole life. Maybe you've grown up in the church. Um, we can easily go, well, I haven't gotten that gift. I guess it's not for me. Uh, rather than being open to uh, receiving a gift. And, and it may be in, in your later years of faith. You know what I mean? So always being open to that. I, I have a testimony about this. Okay. A, a few years ago, uh, after our children's ministry director had left here, um, God worked in my heart to give me a passion for children's ministry. A, a few years before that, I had sat down with a mentor at seminary and had kind of gone through things like, do you feel called to this and that ministry and this? And he said children's ministry, and I was like, no way. But, but three years ago... God changed my heart and gave me a, so it's not just a gift like you can but it, there's a certain passion too that God can put in our hearts. Like God will give us the desire of our heart and it doesn't mean that God will fulfill our worldly or selfish desires, but that God will put a holy desire in us mm-hmm. yeah. and then give us the gifts to do God's work. So I, like I can, you know, children's ministry or communication with kids isn't listed in one of the gift lists, but it's certainly a need of the church. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'd say at that moment, God called me and gave me that passion and gifted me 
for the need that was evident here. And that may well be one of those gifts that is totally a spiritual gift that just didn't make, <laughs> didn't make Paul's list for who he was writing to at that right, time. Right, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I want to ask another question. I know we were, uh, we were going to talk about fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to pass over that now because we preached on that in the past. And if you're listening to this, you're on our podcast feed, so you can go back. A couple years ago, we preached a series called Life in the Spirit, and there's two, two sermons on fruit of the Spirit. So, um, or you can reach out to one of us and talk about that. Mm-hmm. Here's one of the questions I want to ask. When we talk about tongues, also you know, reading through the book of Acts again, one of my favorite books, probably one of the books I've studied the most. Um, and every time I come to it, I, I still glean new things. Um, I know there's a sense in me, and I'm sure there's a sense in others, where they read about miracles happening. And I just was reading a couple days ago about uh, 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 Tabitha, being, uh, Peter ri- uh, raising this woman from the dead, or, or healing a person who's been lame their entire life, or the blind man in, in Acts chapter uh, 3 and 4. Um, when we talk about miracles, speaking in tongues, uh, these incredible movements of the Spirit, there's a tendency for us to go, why don't we see that more? Mm. Why don't we see that more in our church? Why are people not, um, you know, coming in a wheelchair and, and somebody saying, this, the Lord Jesus made you well and watching them? Wa-? Like, like, why are those things not happening so much here? Or um, why do they seem to be happening maybe in other places but not here? How would you answer that question? Yeah. Okay. Um- I would say it's multi-pronged. I mean, number one, I think it doesn't happen as much around here, uh, however you designate that space, because we don't ask or expect. And I think one of the other prongs is that we don't ask or expect anymore because we've seen it abused uh, and, and maybe misused for profit or for other ways. And so we go, well, okay, that looks bad and silly on TV. And obviously the guy's doing it to, to rake in some, some dollars. So it must all be false. And so I think that, li- that puts us into a space of like, well, if it's used falsely, then I don't want to even get close to it. Um, where I think there are healthy expressions of praying in good faith for God to move in significant ways. And uh, to my continued shock, I've seen it and been a part of it. But I think it's because you don't, we don't ask or expect. I, I was raised in a denomination that did emphasize miraculous healing, uh, but we did not call it, it was not called faith healing, because when we think about the issue of faith healing, that the healing ha- would happen because of the amount of faith you have or don't have. Um, so it's more approaching Jesus as the great physician. And I think one, maybe one reason we don't emphasize it is it because it's challenging to emphasize it. I was in a, a small seminary group um, many years ago with a student whose dad had uh, terminal disease, and um, he, 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 we, we would fervently pray for healing, but his dad wasn't healed, and he died. And it, it rocked the student's faith um, in a really challenging way. So it, I think the tension of our, our hope in physical resurrection after yeah. death, but alongside that we do know of the true stories in scripture, since scripture, even now in other places where God does, where the kingdom breaks in and someone's healed. Like it, the spirit's described as a wind that goes where it will. Yes. And um, 
So how, how do we hold on to this hope, but, but also not make that the thing we hope in, right. rather than our future, e eternal, uh, new heavens and the new earth, resurrected body with Jesus? Hmm. Yeah, and, and I think sometimes we can have a pretty narrow view of what healing is. Uh -huh. You know, maybe mm -hmm. that image of a person with a cane and they kick the cane away and they're dancing on the stage is what we view as a Christian healing, when I think we can also say, you know, if you've ever had a loved one that had an organ transplant, is there anything more miraculous than, <laughs> than that kind of medicine that can, you know, literally take an organ from somebody else and bring you the life that you I mean, there, there, there are lots of ways in which God does healing. Um, but I would say, and it's important for people to know, and I know you both know this, if we have a more global perspective of what's going on in the world, there are places in the world where mm -hmm. resurrections and miraculous healings and, uh, and uh, casting out of demons, some of these things that we see in the book of Acts are regular daily occurrences. You, had, you said you led with resurrection, which is fascinating because I was telling you before we started about a story in seminary. We had a, a couple of students who were in from Africa and we were in systematics class talking about this. And he was explaining to us how regularly in their church there are significant healings. And even uh, he was reflecting on a story of some guy who had died of AIDS and was, was dead. And they prayed over him and he got back up. Okay, now at that point the professor stopped and said, okay, okay, I'm going to, th that didn't happen. If it had happened, we would have heard about it. If dead people were actually coming back to life, we'd be hearing about this. And, and he challenged him saying, I'm telling you, I saw it in my own eyes. The reason you don't hear about it is because you don't want to hear about it. Um, in a sense, you live in a culture that just doesn't value that. That's just how the spirit moves there. Um, and it was this interesting kind of dialogue, you know, back and forth mm -hmm. between them. But obviously, it was a regular part of their experience. He was sincere. He was a believer in Christ. Uh, and he was telling us that's what happens in his ministry context. It's yeah. fascinating. And I've had a similar thing with a connection we have in Uganda. Um, where he regularly sees these incredible miracles. And, and, and I had asked him, I, I said, you know, so why don't, why don't we see that as much? He said, you know, the resistance is so strong to the gospel where I am that the miracles are that strong. <laughs> um, which I think is some of what we see in the book of Acts, yeah, as, yeah. Book of Acts as well. Anything to add on that, Joy, or any thoughts? Yeah, there? I mean, if we think just about the, the work of Christians in the United States and in some other areas where Christians have established hospitals yes, and um, as a place of physical healing to bring healing. Um, it, it is different than a miracle, but it, it, I think it is also a work of God. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, you know, we would live in a really materialistic, I don't mean consumeristic, I mean like the material world is all that's there, right? That's a, yeah. that's a real common belief in our society. Um, and, and so that's a place where I wonder if in the, in the future and maybe in the near future that the way that God will open, the spirit will open people's eyes is things that they cannot explain from a materialistic worldview. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but to just, to, just to add that reminder for us that um, you know, those on the, the front lines, the nurses and doctors, when, when medical advances were being made 150, 200 years ago, many of those people were doing that out of their obedience to Jesus yeah. as, as a way to bring about the healing of God.
Yeah, yeah, I think I would add, I mean, just a condition, because I've wrestled with that too, like, okay, so friend goes through surgery and the surgery's successful. We've prayed over that. Is that, mm-hmm. I think the, the problem, struggle I have with it is it's attributable to other means. The yeah. doctor had skills mm-hmm. that, you know, had medicine, again, arguably had, God may yep. have used, right? But mm-hmm. there's explainable even without the faith component, right? The mm-hmm. medicine, the hands. Um, it's, the, it's where it's maybe credit, it, 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 undeniably supernatural to me, where's the, the wrestle. Maybe another relevant story is we, we had Liz uh, in our church who had stage four cancer and we prayed for many years and she would find release from it and mm-hmm. then it would come back and then one time she was significantly released from it then it came back again and we continued to pray for her healing and I really can attest to we saw her healed all the way till the day she died. Mm-hmm. Mm. There was her, her body, yes, eventually the cancer consumed it, but we watched her with great resolve, strength, and confidence and faith really get healed through that. And, the, and her death, her passing actually was the release yes. of that healing. It, I can only explain it that because it was so beautiful to watch. And we experienced that here in terms of, yeah. again, maybe it's not kick the cane away and dance in the aisles. Um, but I have experience here, as I know each of you do in this very church, in this very room, of watching somebody give up anger or forgive somebody or, uh, or uh, say it's time for me to get sober or whatever it is. And those are miracles too. Yeah. Uh, and those are healing processes as well. And sometimes, in many ways, especially in the, in the you know, developed Western world, that is a more miraculous healing than a surgery yeah. <laughs> in some sense because... Um, everything in our culture says, hang, hang on to that person who did wrong to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, hang on to this vice that, that helps you cope with life. Mm-hmm. To be able to go, no, because of what Jesus is doing in my life, I'm, 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 I'm being freed from that. Yeah. That's or, a healing too. I wonder about, we, we think of the first century world, every, almost everyone was suffering. I mean, children and babies died mm-hmm. all the time. Women died in childbirth. Like, mm-hmm. like, it, it was not a good life. And yeah, right. it, was, it was not a pain-free life. Life expectancy right. was 41. Yeah. yeah. And, and so today, we are a much more healthy society. And when suffering, physical suffering comes, we do not know what to do with it. Yeah. And we're like, why is this? What, you know, what? Whereas we could probably receive some instruction just in character from first century people. Um, last night in the sanctuary course, one of the verses we text we meditated on about suffering was from Romans 5. Uh, This is at the beginning, uh, 5, 1 through 5. Uh, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given us. Mm. So we can, God God will use our suffering to also lead us to some forms of healing. Sure, Short, quick, weird story. Yeah, okay. Go for it. So uh, I was playing tennis. It was, was in Texas, and um, as I, I was, I beat the guy. And at the end of the match, he said, "Oh, I, I said it's actually my birthday today too." And he goes, "Ooh, oh, careful! Uh, at that age, everything starts to hurt." 
And I remember he said it kind of in a, in a, like it arrested me, right? Later that week, I was really sore, like my knee, hip, arm, elbow, neck, everything was in pain. I was really unable to like kind of get through comfortably. I was taking the Advil. It wasn't really going away. And I happened to mention that story to the prayer ladies of our church. There was just a collection of, of these women that were very prayerful, would often pray in, in, in uh, angelic language, that kind of stuff. And I remember they were like, oh, you don't have to carry that. And they just started putting their hands on me and praying, praying over me in a mixture of asking the Lord to heal and angelic language. Okay. And so I've seen them do their ministry before, but I've never been the subject of it. So I sat there, and I was just wrestling in my head of like, oh, this is a little weird, you know? I don't know, but, and then yeah, I just saw pains, like, do they really need to go right, through all this form? Yeah. Right, is this real? So anyway, I quickly uh, found myself just in my, I let my guard down for, I said, okay, God, if you want to use this to show yourself, if you want to give me healing, I don't want to hold you back from that, and so I accept it. If you have healing for me in this, through these prayers, I accept it. And I was, later that day, released of all the pain. Hmm. Hmm. So, yeah, that's my weird little story. And I'd seen other, I've had other events yeah. like that, but I was just like, Lord, if you have something for me, I don't want to hold you back. Yeah. yeah, when I was in seminary, there was a Korean student who was, had the gift of healing. And numerous people received physical healing from his prayers. And so I've seen that in my life too. Okay, um, I saved a really, you know, softball easy question for the end here. Uh, for those who are reading through the book of Acts, they got to Acts 5, and they read this story about Ananias and Sapphira. And uh, they may have noted that we skipped over um, that in our preaching. And they may be wondering, what in the world is happening in this story? So for those of you who need a little recap on that, uh, the church is growing. They had a common purse, so they shared everything in common. And there's this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, and they, um, they sold off some land um, and uh, withheld the, the money from the common purse. And when Ananias, the husband, comes to Peter, uh, the, the spirit has given him discernment that something is off here. Ananias lies about that to Peter uh, Peter calls him out on that, and it says that Ananias drops dead right there. Mm -hmm. They bring him out. His wife comes in a couple hours later, not knowing what had happened to her husband, does the same thing. Not only withholds, but lies, uh, and dies as well. And you read that story, and you go, what in, what in the <laughs> world is going on here? Yeah. How are we supposed to understand this story? Why is it in the Bible in Acts chapter 5, and does it have any sort of relevance to us today? Is this the kind of story where it's okay to be like, See, this is why I can't, I can't believe in this whole Bible thing. This right. is just, it's too brutal. It's too yeah. difficult. Yeah. What's your, how would you, how would you guide somebody through that? I, I talked about it actually a couple of uh, months ago with our Wednesday senior men's before the COVID break. Um, we actually <laughs> looked at the story quickly. I just noted that it was the very first memorial gift ever given <laughs> to the church. Uh, they didn't expect it to be a memorial gift, but it was. And so anyway, we were just talking about uh, memorial gifts. That's a dark joke. That's a dark it's Bible a joke true, there, It's Simon. true, though. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How would you pastorally sort of guide someone to, mm -hmm. to understand uh, sort of the brutal nature of this story? Well, I think, first of all, uh, in most Bibles, this story will be separated, so it begins at chapter 5. But we have to frame it with the end of chapter 4, starting at verse 32. Like this, what is happening with the believers is that... Um, that people are selling things so so and 
for as many as owned lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it laid at the apostles' feet. And then there's this uh, example of um, Joseph, who is called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So he does this: he sells a field, brings the money, and lays it at the apostles' feet. So we see this ex- this positive example first, mm-hmm. but then there's Ananias and Sapphira. Um, but we have we just have to read this story, which is really tragic for them. But often we're kind of trained to sometimes try to see it from the perspective of the person that was wrong, right? We see this done in film and, and stuff, but the part of the purpose of this story being recorded, I think, is as an instruction and a, a tale for maybe other Christian churches who are being persecuted, who there was people around them who are hungry, and it's saying, don't do this. This is a grave offense. Um, don't do it. And also, I do think this is a continued story of the Spirit raising up Peter as a leader. If you remember how Peter is, is portrayed in the Gospels, especially uh, Mark, uh, where we, we understand most of the story in, in Mark is kind of from Peter's perspective and was shared with Mark. Uh, so here's Peter, who has said some really stupid things, denied Jesus, um, but who's, who's really elevated by the Spirit to preach this amazing sermon. And then when Ananias and, and Sapphira come and bring this partial gift, he is equipped by the Spirit to know the truth, to discern that they're holding some back. And, and they, they don't say they are. Maybe if they said, actually, this is 50% of the proceeds. We decided to put the other 50% in our bank account. Mm-hmm. They didn't have bank accounts, but they would have been honest. But it wasn't just that they withheld. It's that they withheld and lied. Yeah. But the Spirit equipped Peter to know what was happening. And it's not Peter who made him drop dead. That's important. He just yes. died. Um, so I, I don't know. This is a story that I'm, I'm very fascinated we don't, by. We don't even know that he was struck dead. Right, it doesn't say that. It doesn't uh, say God made him die. Yeah. It's yeah. not a divine passive. Yeah. yeah. Was he in such grief that there was some sort of medical episode? You know, right. we, don't, we don't know. Maybe he had a heart attack. Well, right. Joy is absolutely right about the framing are, are important mm-hmm. to look at this portrait. I mean, in, uh, in verse 33, it says, with great power, mm. the apostles, and so it's not just regular power, great power, the apostles were given their testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and great grace mm-hmm. was upon them all. So it was an amplified season of Holy Spirit movement, which I don't think is, that's the only one, but that certainly was, if there was one, an amplified season of the Spirit's movement, power, and, and, and uh, pointing of, of Peter. And then I would, uh, the application to me is that faith is really an all-in experience, especially for those things and resources that we say, okay, Lord, I'm all in. So Ananias and Sapphira had committed before the Holy Spirit to be all in with their resources, and then last minute kind of held back and so in this story, they experienced physical death. Um, again, let's not assume that meant that their salvation was in jeopardy. So, so was death, you know, to them an eternal death? It certainly doesn't say, it just says they breathed the last and they were carried out. Um, but I think it reminds me of just if, if I'm saying I'm all in to truly be all in and not try to withhold the half right? Because it's never going to be satisfying. And, I, and, I, and there may be people in the church who are like an Ananias and Sapphira, who are walking without breath, who are walking feeling dead in their faith, hmm. because in a sense they committed themselves to be all in and are holding back on that half. And are being honest. Right, yeah. exactly. And, and grieving then the Holy Spirit. 
Yeah. And I would say this, this really, ap in application, it's not just about finances. It's about our whole life. Absolutely. Right. What is our whole life discipleship like? Right. If there are that aspects, was the whole point of the common purse. Is, right. And this, if, is, this is a whole life thing. If there are aspects in our life that we can't talk about with someone in the congregation or a pastor, I'd say you probably need to think about that. Mm -hmm. Right. If we feel so much shame or want to hide something, um, the, the, the church is a place to heal sick sinners. Yes. But we have to be honest about the, the pain and, and the sin that's in our lives. Mm -hmm. yeah. And even, like, what if they would have said, hey, we kind of want to keep 50%, sure. and they would have talked to Peter about it. What would have happened then? Right. Not that. Not what happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, again, I think there are ways that we have to recognize that every dollar we earn, if we're, if we're truly trusting in, in Christ for our, our lives and our eternal salvation, every dollar we get is his, all of it, every right. bit of it. And so we get to give out of that, out of that giving that he's give to us, given to us, but it's all his. Mm -hmm. And I think there's recognition in that too, that it's not half his, uh, it's not you know, 10% his, it's really all his. We get to give out of that abundance. Mm -hmm. And I think there are two lessons that can get overlooked when, because we automatically go to sort of the money and the brutality of this and where's the grace and so on. Um, the first thing that, you know, Joy, you talked about just Peter's development from a, from a simple fisherman to this person who is, who is in tune with the spirit, who is discerning, who is leading a very complex system, uh, who is performing miracles. That's really what I think the first half of the book of Acts all the way up to Acts 15 is really all about. It's, it's really about the story of these apostles, right? And the amazing uh, growth trajectory because the Spirit's emboldening them and filling them. I think the other thing that we, we can lose sight of in Acts 5, and it plays in Acts 6, which you can come to church on Sunday and, or Saturday and um, hear more about that because I'll be preaching on that on, on, uh, throughout the weekend. There's a sense that whatever sort of threats there are to the unity of this young movement um, need to be expelled in the most forceful and quick way as possible because this is a tenuous mm -hmm. This is a tenuous movement right now with persecution, uh, you know, coming in on every corner. Um, there's, there's just no room for someone to mess around with finances, to be, um, to be dishonest uh, to the church, which is the representation of Jesus' body here on earth. Um, there's no room for a little creeping disunity in the distribution of food, which we see in Acts, sure. Acts 6, yeah. where it's like we have to deal with these things. And we've seen, um, certainly in, in America, you know, we've seen uh, uh, people who are not managing the finances of the church well, and mm -hmm. a church can't, yeah. has to close, right? right? Because right. there was just dishonesty, and there were cover-ups, and there was, there was, you know, subterfuge and whatever, and... and it's, it's not like the church couldn't figure out a way to raise the funds to keep the doors open, but it was like the emotional toll that that sort of sin did on that community was like too much to come back from. Yeah. So I think some of the severity that you see in this passage, and you also see a, a really sort of quick administrative action in, in Acts chapter 6, are like... This movement is tenuous and so precious that there's just not the littlest, we cannot kick the door even a little bit open for sin to enter in and poison the well. It sort of reminds me of like when your kids are, you know, toddlers and they start walking out towards the road and you, you grab them with maybe some violence of like, right. no, 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 before they hit, get hit by the car. You know, maybe, you're, maybe there's a metaphor of that of like, this is an extreme act because the shoot, the, the shoot of the word is tender 
and that weed needs to be pulled quickly, otherwise it's going to continue to manifest. Yeah. My other, if I were preaching it, would be the other one is that, uh, you know, again, for the believer, death is not the final answer. Mm-hmm. So they may have held back, you know, 50%. Uh, I think God in his revealing of them, uh, revealing to them in the eternal is going to show you the wealth of his riches. Right? Yeah. So that's, let's trust that Ananias and Sapphira didn't die in misery and are sitting convicted even to this day. They're experiencing the wealth of the kingdom of God to mm. which there's no match. Mm. And that's God's grace. Wow. Amen to that. Amen. <laughs> um, last question. Uh, one of those questions in the, at the end of each of the readings in the booklet is, where's the Spirit at work in you? Just a quick answer. Uh, as we've been talking about the Spirit through this series, we've been focusing on it as a staff. We've been reading through the book of Acts. Where do you sense the, the Spirit at work in you? And, I, and I'll go first to give you a chance to get your words straight, but... Uh, what I see over and over again in the book of Acts and, and uh, in being able to sit under your teaching, Simon, here in this series has just been that the spirit emboldens, emboldens. It emboldens our witness. It sharpens our witness. It gives us courage to go, I'm not going to be so self-conscious about failure uh, to put myself out there. Um, I've been more emboldened with waiters and Uber drivers and mm-hmm. people I meet on the street and um, uh, just, to, just to encourage them with a little tidbit of faith, a prayer, uh, uh, a scripture verse, just more emboldened to go, I'm not, the results of whatever is going on are not completely, they're not on me. Mm-hmm. It's the spirit who does, who, who motivates the work and does the work. So emboldened, is uh, emboldening is kind of the word that, that I think of when, when asked, what's the spirit doing in me? Yeah. How about you? I, I have three images that I, I keep uh, just reflecting on in this series. As I mentioned in the first week, like I feel like every time I put that pilot light image up, um, I can easily live on pilot light. Holy Spirit, as opposed to that blazing center. And so the three images for me that I, th- that I really sense the Lord is trying to grow me into and towards is the candlelight of illuminating the word uh, to continue to do his work in me uh, by his word. So the candlelight, I use that image a couple times, like the candlelight by the, by the Bible, because um, we need the spirit to illuminate the word, to do the work he wants to do in, and I'll just own it personally, in me, continuing that good work. Then there's the torch, which is that holding up of the light of Christ, the holding up of the Holy Spirit to guide me on that walk. Um, even though we walk through that uh, valley sometimes and it feels like we're in the shadows, the, the Holy Spirit is that lamp that will continue to, to light um, our path and lead us on the journey that he's called us to. And then the third one is the campfire, which unfortunately we were going we were gonna to light one on, on Saturday out here. I was going to light the, the fire pit for our Saturday service. It rained. Uh, but I was looking forward to that, just gathering around the campfire. Hmm. And I think that's the communal nature of, of life in, in, in the Holy Spirit is a blazing center. And who doesn't love a, a campfire? Because we're sitting around together, the smoke, the, the roasting of the, the food together, and the, the story sharing, the worship is sweet. And I really want, I want to continue to pursue that too. Yeah. One, one of the things I was struck with from Simon's message on Sunday, uh, through the example he used of the, the TikTok communicator, um, is that the Holy Spirit will empower us to be able to translate the gospel into our cultural context. 
So sometimes mm -hmm. we think of tongues as in like learning new languages, maybe somebody's gift of learning a language fast, uh, which is a great gift, but it's also learning how to communicate the good news of the gospel to the felt needs of the people around us. And, and so that sort of renewed my prayer for that. Like, what does it look like for us to communicate the good news of Jesus to the felt needs of the suburbs of Chicago? Uh, and that's going to look different than it did 50 years ago. The gospel can be communicated in many, many ways. It's still the same story. Um, so that's, that's been one thing. And then personally, um, a, a part of my spiritual practice is really to just take times of silence and listening to the Spirit. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes that's in scripture reading, but sometimes it's literally just being outside and being quiet and trying to focus my mm -hmm. mind on hearing God, not just letting my thoughts wander. And um, that has been a time of encouragement for me lately. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. Well, we pray uh, for each and every one of you that are listening that you are encouraged by the Spirit as well, convicted that the Spirit's doing a work in your life and in your heart. This has been virtual coffee hour. Hopefully these are the kind of conversations we'd be having in our coffee hour on Sunday mornings. Mm -hmm. So if you have questions that didn't uh, get answered today about what you're learning about the spirit, reach out to one of us. We'd love to have a conversation with you. We wish we could yeah. do that in the garden court. Uh, but in the meantime, we'd love to pick up the phone or, or meet you at a park or go on a walk or whatever mm -hmm. it is uh, to walk along with you. Let me just share a benediction from Romans 15. Mm -hmm. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in your believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. amen yeah. And amen. amen. It's good.